here we go. One, two, one, two, three, four. On this week's Convex Conversation with me, Helen Fospero, you're listening to the wonderful sound of American bluegrass fiddle player Michael Cleveland and his band Flamekeeper, taken from his Grammy-winning album Tall Fiddler. was nominated for a Grammy in 2018 for Best Bluegrass Album and won that same category in 2020. He's the International Bluegrass Music Association's most decorated musician with, we think, 29 awards to date and received the United States government's highest honour in folk and traditional arts last year. What's even more incredible is that Michael was born blind, almost deaf in his left ear and partly deaf in his right, yet has ascended to the top of his genre to become one of modern bluegrass's most compelling musicians. He's one of the world's most in-demand and distinctive fiddlers, collaborating with fellow country music legends like Alison Krauss, Baylor Fleck, Dot Watson and Vince Gill, and has just released a new album, Lovin' of the Game. So today, let me take you all the way to Michael's studio in Indiana. Michael, it's an honour to feature you. I'm absolutely in love with your music and in awe of your musicianship. How are you? I'm doing great, Helen. How about you? I'm doing very well indeed, thank you. I think it's about 11 o'clock in the morning, your time. Have you been doing any fiddling yet? No, not today. Not today, but I'm sure some will be on the cards, will it? Oh yeah, I got plenty of sessions to do. I just got back home from a little run in Florida and Arizona and got a few sessions to catch up on. Well, that's cool. Now you've got a new album that's literally just come out, Loving of the Game. What was the inspiration, Michael, behind this one? Well, I think the main thing was to show I've always been known as a traditional bluegrass fiddle player. And that's kind yeah. of the, the box that I put myself in because it is what I like to play. As far as bluegrass goes, you know, my favorite kind is traditional bluegrass, you know, kind of like the people who started the music, you know, Bill Monroe, Jim and Jesse, Flat Scruggs. Jimmy Martin, the Stanley Brothers, that kind of bluegrass. But I like to play other types of music as well. I think since I've been kind of considered a traditional bluegrass player, that a lot of people might not realize that. When I first started playing some stuff with Bela Fleck a couple of years ago, around his latest album that we all got to play on, I heard an interview with Bela who who basically said, you know, I wasn't sure if Michael would want to play with me, which, I mean, it's a no-brainer for me. I mean, it's Bela Fleck. Come on. Who wouldn't want to play with (laughs) Bela Fleck, you know? Everybody would want to play with Bela Fleck. Well, yeah, you know, but the way he thought of it, and it kind of makes sense because there are people who are very comfortable in what they do and and they don't like to stray from that too far but i'm not one of those people and when i first met bela we played a couple things he's like oh you like to learn tunes and i said yeah why not you know and he said well i like to write some complicated stuff i said well i'd be happy to give it a try and he said cool i'll call you sometime and he did You know how that stuff goes. I kind of thought, wow, yeah, sure, he'll call. But he really did. But this album, you know, it's got plenty of traditional bluegrass on it. And 
probably all my albums will because it's what I love to do and I never want to stop playing traditional bluegrass but I do want to show that there's a little bit more to me than just a traditional bluegrass fiddle player. There's also a lot more to you, Michael, than just the fiddle. You are a fantastic banjo player. I noticed there's some brilliant banjo playing on the album. Is that you playing the banjo? Oh no, no, no. Uh, yeah, so I, I play, I play banjo, but I'm I'm more of a closet banjo player. I guess I would be considered more of a mandolin. Would probably be my second instrument, apart from fiddle and then guitar. I think I started later on and then banjo was probably the last instrument I attempted to learn how to play when I was about 14 or 15 years old and I enjoy playing banjo but I don't get to do it very much so the only time I really play banjo is if somebody sends me a track to play on here in my studio and I get down here with Pro Tools and I got about three and a half hours I can sound like a pretty good banjo player <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if i had to if i had to get it out and play live with a band i i would have to i'd have to practice for months and the new album features special guests like vince gill too doesn't it that's correct yeah a lot of special guests a lot of people that i have collaborated with over the last few years and some some new ones as well what would you say your favorite track on Loving of the Game is? Do you have a favorite? Oh, man. You know, I'd have to say two of my favorites. Well, it's hard to pick. But the uh, song that I did with Billy Strings and Jeff White called For Your Love. And the Vince Gill song, I Wish I Knew Now What I Knew Then. Wish I The fool that I've been Wish I knew now What I knew then I would have to say those two And uh, Contact and Sunny Days I guess I picked four, didn't I? You did pick four, but you didn't pick me and Helen. I was hoping you'd pick me and Helen. That's on Tall Fiddler. <laughs> oh, no, that's on Tall Fiddler. That's that, okay then. Were you asking about that album or the new album? No, I was asking about the new album. Okay. I got a little overexcited there. No, the that, me of- and Helen, that's a good song, though. My, uh, our guitar player, Josh Richards, wrote that about a lady here in southern Indiana who... Uh, was married to a fiddle player named Vern Trueblood. It's somebody that we've kind of known all of our lives, but Josh, our guitar player, is related to her. And so he, he wrote that song about Helen. On the first day of winter, clouds rolling in, leaves have all fallen, a chill is on. Burning, holding her close and 
fantastic. I love all the stories behind the work and flicking back to the new album again, an article that's just come out in the New York Times described Loving of the Game as an ecstatic document of what the fiddle has meant to your story. Are they right there, Michael, by saying that? That's quite a deep thing to say. Yeah, I've never thought about it that way, but I would say that they are. And that could be represented by, I guess, a lot that I do because I enjoy playing the fiddle, you know. Anytime I get the opportunity to play, it's it's a good day. Like, I never get sick of it. It never gets old. If I have a full day of recording or whatever, you know, just down here in the basement at home, I'll always find myself, you know, I'll get the fiddle out and I'll always find myself playing just for the fun of it at, at some point during the day. You know, I'll come down with the mentality of, man, I got to get this done. You know, I got six tracks to try to play on today. But some point during the day, I'll, I'll just find the time to just noodle around and play just what I feel like playing at the moment. And that's just still fun after all these years, really. Well, it's lovely that it's still fun after all these years. Again, in that New York Times piece said that you were bouncing in your stroller or a pram, as we call it here in the UK, to bluegrass concerts your grandparents hosted in Henryville when you were just six weeks old. Take me back to the beginning, Michael, if you can, and where your love of bluegrass came from originally. Well, that's what they tell me, that that I was six weeks old. You know, there's people around today that'll say, yeah, I remember seeing you in a stroller and you were keeping perfect time. But, you know, none of my family ever played. My grandparents just got into the music and went to a couple local things. And I think there was a jam that was going on in Borden, Indiana, that was getting ready to shut down. And they wanted to still have a place for people to come and play. So my grandparents started a bluegrass show in Henryville, Indiana, that happened every second and fourth Saturday night of the month. From that, there was another show that got started in Scottsburg, Indiana, just about 10 miles away. So basically, there was bluegrass shows every weekend, and my grandparents were at every one of them. Whether it was their show or the other shows in the area, they would go to all of them. And they started taking me when I was real little. And I always liked the music, you know, when anytime I got to go to my grandparents' house, I would listen to their record and eight-track collection. They had a record and eight-track player and it had a speaker on each side of it. And I would lay one of those speakers down and lay my ear on the one of those speakers and listen to bluegrass and just fall asleep there. And then I guess I was about four years old. And I don't remember too much about being four years old, but I remember hearing a fiddle player at one of those shows play Orange Blossom Special. And that was the thing that once I heard that sound, I knew right then that I had to learn how to play, regardless. And if only just to learn how to play that song. And so my grandparents were checking around, trying to see about lessons. And, and there was a real good fiddle player in my hometown, Henryville, who, I mean, he was the guy. You know, like everybody 
this was the best musician. And he definitely is. I mean, he's still one of my musical heroes. And he's one of the best musicians that nobody really knows about, unfortunately. But he was given lessons, and he tried to teach me. And with me being visually impaired, he didn't really know how to teach me to keep the bow on the strings in the right position. And well, then I started school at the Kentucky School for the Blind. And I kind of lucked out, you know, because I went to the Kentucky School for the Blind. The only reason I could go there was because my dad worked at Pepsi driving a truck. And he had a friend in Louisville named Gary Miller, who became my legal guardian. See, the the Kentucky School for the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky, was about 25 miles from where I lived. And the Indiana School for the Blind was about 100 miles away. Wow. So technically, I should have went to the Indiana School for the Blind. You know, my parents didn't want to send me that far away. I'm really glad they didn't. So thanks to... My dad working in Louisville and and knowing Gary and his wife, Jenny, you know, they became my guardians and that enabled me to go to the school in Louisville. And they had a uh, classical program, classical violin, viola, cello, and they taught the Suzuki method. So I started school. I remember going into the classroom the first day and the teacher, Mrs. Nolan, asked me, what is it about the violin? And I said, well, I don't know much about the violin, but I know a lot about the fiddle. (laughs) And she said, really? Well, what about the fiddle do you know? And I said, well, I want to learn how to play bluegrass, and I want to learn how to play Orange Blossom Special. And she said, well, that'll be a while. And it definitely was. It was really slow going. Like, it probably took me... A year and a half, almost two years before I got going on simple versions of like the the simplest pieces in the Suzuki book, book one, when I finally started making some progress with that. And then they weren't too crazy about bluegrass. You know, I think they had heard a bad example of bluegrass and it's easy to do with any kind of music. You know, you hear somebody butchering it or whatever, and then you think that's the music and, and you're like, well, I don't like that. And with bluegrass, as there is with rock and roll and everything else, there's so many things within the genre. You listen to to 70s rock and then you listen to heavy metal and, and those are two totally different things. But they're still, you know, I guess classified the same music. Yeah. And bluegrass, you know, there's a lot of difference between Bill Monroe and Alison Krauss, but they're both good. So it was just one of those kind of things. They thought that playing bluegrass was going to hurt my playing, and they didn't want me to do it. They didn't really show me a lot of it, but they did have these books that had these simple versions of bluegrass fiddle tunes that they showed all the kids. So it was kind of a double. <laughs> it's kind of a double standard, really. <laughs> don't play this, but yet here are some fiddle tunes. <laughs> But yet, you weren't a prodigy, Michael, but perhaps a lot of people think that you were able to do this straight away. You put a lot of time and hard work and dedication in, but yet you were jamming and wowing crowds at a very young age, weren't you? That's the thing. Yeah, a lot of people think that, oh, yeah, and I've heard people say, you know, well, you know, he just picked it up and started playing. And that was not the case for me. 
I don't know that it's really ever, you know, even if you've got some ability, you know, which you have to have the ability to do it. But even if you have the ability and all that, you have to put the time in. And that's the most important thing. And it was slow going for me. But after a few years, I find I did get to where I could get out and jam. But even then, I started when I was four. I would say by the time I was nine or ten, I could be in a jam and do fairly well. It was slow going at first, but yeah, I did get to jam a lot. And, and there were a lot of great players in this area. A lot of them that didn't necessarily do it for a living. They all had jobs and families and everything else, but they could have. And so I was able to, to learn from a bunch of people in this area off tapes and things people would give me to listen to. But the main thing was I wanted to do it so bad. Like a lot of these kids today, and I see it more and more, and it just, you see these talented kids and these parents who are just shoving these kids around, trying to get them on stage with every band at the festival. And the kid can't be a kid anymore. Basically living the parents' dream for them. I did not have that. My parents and my grandparents were super supportive of what I was doing. And, you know, obviously my grandparents loving the music, you know, they... They wanted to help me all they could and, and encourage me. And, and my parents were the same way, but I never felt like I was forced to play. Now, if I committed to play with somebody on a show or whatever, you know, I was going to do what I committed to do. But as far as I never did feel the pressure that a lot of these kids today feel, and I, I just see it. So I'm thankful for that. It's really sad when you see that kind of thing. And I've heard you say that pretty much all you wanted to do was raw, high energy bluegrass. So you had supportive family around you, but this really was and is your dream. And I'd like to take you back, if I can, Michael, to September 1993, when you just turned 13. And the president of the International Bluegrass Music Association assembled a band of young hotshots in Kentucky as a rebuttal to an article in the Washington Post saying that kids didn't care about antiquated mountain music. What happened that day? When I was growing up and listening to bluegrass and, and even during that time, you know, like I knew who all the traditional guys were. I knew, you know, Bill Monroe, Jimmy Martin, Jim and Jesse, Stanley Brothers, Reno and Smiley. Like I wasn't as up on some of the newer bands because when I was learning how to play most of the people that I was around and playing with there weren't a lot of kids in Henryville Indiana you know going to the local shows and jams in the area there weren't a lot of people my age pretty much everybody I was playing with was was a lot older than me and they were listening to pretty much you know traditional bluegrass and you know some new stuff but so Pete Warnick is uh, the banjo player for this great bluegrass band called Hot Rise. They were a pretty well-established band, but I had no clue who they were, you know. And he called me and was talking to uh, us about this thing he wanted to do on the awards show and the, the article. And he had heard about me from Josh Williams 
one of the other kids who ended up being in the band. Josh and I had jammed at a festival, and his dad had told Pete about me. So, yeah, we went to Owensboro, and I don't think I had any concept until we actually got there, but this was like the ultimate in bluegrass. It was like a dream come true in so many ways. Like, you can imagine a festival where everybody was. Anybody you ever heard of on records, anybody I had ever heard people talk about, all these bluegrass stars were there. And some of them were just hanging out, jamming. We had one rehearsal and Allison Krauss was sitting there watching it. Just stuff like that. And I was like a kid in a candy store. I really was. Didn't you end up jamming with Doc Watson in a bathroom? Yep, sure did. After <laughs> the awards show. And I don't even know how we ended up in there. I don't know if we had to, <laughs> had to go to the bathroom or not. But we ended up in this. Maybe Pete Warnick told us, hey, I think these guys are jamming in here. And, and I think my dad asked if I could play. And, and they said, yeah, it was Doc Watson, Tim O'Brien, Beppe Gambetta, Pete Warnick, I think, played in the jam some. I think we played for about an hour or so. I got a recording of the whole thing somewhere, but then there was a there was a little bit of it captured on a uh, couple documentaries. The first one, the one that they originally did, was called "Gathered at the River." They were filming for that in '93, and they caught the youth all-star performance uh, on the awards show. And then they caught a little bit of that jam in the bathroom after the awards show was over. You turned 13 five days earlier, I think I read. You were so young. And we've mentioned some of the people you've worked with in the industry. They love collaborating with you, people like Bela Fleck and Vince Gill. But you also played with the father of bluegrass, Bill Monroe. And you were quite young then too, weren't you, Michael? What was it like playing with Bill? I think I would have thought differently about it had I been older. When I was a little kid, I was scared of anything. I just didn't think in those terms, and I wanted to do it so bad. So it almost felt like when I finally got to do these things, it was like, oh yeah, this is normal. This is right. This is where I want to be. And then I guess in a sense, I might have taken it for granted, not that I got to play with Bill Monroe, but just that, oh yeah, this is Bill Monroe. He'll always be here. Of course, Sadly, that's not the case. But when I played with him when I was a little kid, it was definitely an honor. But had I had this opportunity now, you know, I would attach a lot more significance to it. If you know what I mean, does that make any sense? Yeah, it does make sense, Michael, because I think when we're young, we're really fearless. And we do things that as we get into adulthood that we'd probably be really nervous about doing, but we do them without thought or a care in the world when we're younger, I think. Yep. That's the beauty of being a kid, I guess. Especially when you're doing something you love and, and that you want to do. And man, it's all I thought about. When I woke up, when I went to sleep, all I thought about was music. Now, I might not have practiced every day, 
or as long as they thought I should practice. But even on the days I didn't practice, I was always thinking about music. When I watch you play, because sometimes I don't just put it on audio, sometimes I watch you on YouTube, you take my breath away, Michael. I mean, your playing is out of this world. The sound is extraordinary. I love the really fast pieces and I can just see the energy and enthusiasm. work on things and how often do you play to be able to keep at the top of your game like that because it's just superb well probably not as much as i should to be honest but since i got set up to record here at home i have a uh, recording studio down here in my basement i have stuff to play on pretty much every day that i'm home so people will send me tracks to play on And a lot of it, or a good chunk of it, comes from airgigs.com, which I think is how we connected through uh, David from Airgigs. But all those sessions that I play on, that forces me to play every day. And that has been the best thing. So even though I might not practice still as much as I probably should, as far as actually playing, I've Having the instrument in my hands pretty much every day, that's been huge. Well, airgigs.com is a very cool service. And as you say, that's where our connection came from. But it allows you to track fiddle parts for people all over the world, doesn't it? So it's extraordinary that people can ask you to do a track for their piece. That makes the world then a very small place because you can be playing music all over the world all of the time through that technology. I played on songs where people will be singing vocals in in other languages, and I know the track's going to somebody in Germany or France or something like that, and through the miracle of technology, it all works. I can take their file and import it into my Pro Tools software, and then once I'm done playing on it, make a WAV file and put it in Dropbox and send it and somehow it all works out. You know, it's amazing. It's a it's a good time to be recording for sure. It is. May I ask you, Michael, you were born blind and you have got limited hearing. Do you feel the music? I'm just wondering if you can give me a sense. Obviously, you weren't able to learn to read music and limited hearing. How have you managed to become, I don't know whether virtuoso is the right word in the fiddle world. I know it is in violin, but is it a feeling for you of the music? Do you feel it through your body? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anytime I play good music, it's an adrenaline rush like no other. And People have said, man, when, when the music's right, you know, your face lights up and you just smile and it's like a kid on Christmas Day. And that's what I feel like. And so, yeah, I definitely feel the music. And I think you have to, to be any good at whatever you're doing, you know, whatever you're passionate about. 
it has to be something that you feel strongly about and that you believe in. It's like the music thing. Even if I wasn't getting paid, I'd still be playing music. Just happened to be fortunate enough to be able to do what I love for a living. So I'm thankful for that. Vince Gill always says as well that you are a really powerful player, aren't you? There's some real power to your fiddling. Yeah, I play, I guess, pretty hard. My uh, guitar player, Josh Richards, he always said that could be because of my hearing loss, because my fiddle's on my left side. That might be the reason that I play as hard as I do. But I don't know, you know, because I've always liked players who you can tell are really bearing down on it and getting after it. You know, I've always really liked that. So I don't know who's to say, really. Tell me a little bit about the band, Michael, Flamekeeper, because you're about to go on tour again, aren't you, or in the middle of a tour at the minute? We just got back from a little run in Florida and Arizona. I started the band in 2006, and it's a different configuration. But the band as it is now, and the guitar player, Josh Richards, sings lead, and Nathan Libers, the mandolin player, sings harmony. Those two guys, we grew up pretty much together, and they would come to my grandparents' shows in Henryville. They would go to all the local things that I went to. We would just always play together, and we never really thought we would play in a band. I never thought that it would work out for them to do it professionally. You know, they had other jobs and doing other things, and When I started the band, I had quite a few different configurations before this. Josh has been in the band 10 years, and Nathan, I think he's going on 11 years. But I've known them way longer than that, so it's really like a family. And then the bass player, it's kind of the same deal with him, Chris Douglas. I got to know Chris Douglas when I was playing with Rhonda Vincent. He played bass in her band for a short time, and we really hit it off and became friends. And I knew at that time, it's like, man, I'd love to play some music with him, you know, if it ever worked out again. We stayed in touch for years and years and get together and play music whenever we could. And finally, it worked out where he was able to join the band. And Josiah Schrode, our banjo player, he's been in the band for about six years now. It really is not only a great band, but it's people that I've known pretty much all my life and people that I've dreamed about playing with. Do you enjoy being out on the road, Michael, with the band? I do. Yeah, I really do. It's not for everybody. If you enjoy being home every day, then it's probably not for you. But it's weird, you know, and I've heard people say this, and it's the truth. You know, I've had times out on the road that I thought, man, if I could ever get back home and get off this bus or out of this van or out of this terrible hotel room, I will never do this again. <laughs> and, and I mean, I'll get home and rest up for about three days, and then I'm ready to go, you know. <laughs> and if I'm home for two weeks or or something like that, it's time to go. It's all right. This is great, (laughs) but enough of this. (laughs) Now, I hear as well that you're learning some classical violin for Bela Fleck. Is this true that you're learning Bach's violin sonata number three in C major? (laughs) Yeah, I still have to learn it. But yeah, I did start out playing classical. So 
It's not a totally new thing for me, but definitely different than what I do ordinarily. I'll have some homework to do on that for sure. But that's the goal. Yep. It's good to have a new challenge. And what else is out there for you, Michael? Who else would you like to play with? What else have you got coming up? Man, I want to keep playing bluegrass, obviously. I, I want to keep doing more with the band. And what we particularly enjoy doing is playing bluegrass to new audiences and people who may not be aware of what bluegrass really can be. A lot of people have an idea in their head of what they think bluegrass is, but they probably haven't heard the music or whatever. Those are the audiences that I enjoy playing for. There's a great bluegrass festival audience, and and that's fun also. But man, to play it for new people who haven't heard it and aren't aware of what it can be, I really enjoy playing for those audiences. Also, I want to keep doing more with Bela Fleck. Love to do some more with Tommy Emanuel. We've talked a couple times about you know doing some shows together. I hope that works out. I like to collaborate with some jam bands, you know, like. Uh, Yonder Mountain String Band or Leftover Salmon or Green Sky Bluegrass or people like that. or There's all kinds of possibility, but those are some things that I would like to do that I haven't gotten to do a whole lot of. I'm hoping that we might be able to tempt you over to the UK because I think audiences here would love your music and love to hear you play your bluegrass. I think you'd be really appreciated here. Do you think we might be able to tempt you over to the UK at some point, Michael? Oh, it'd be great. Yeah, I've been there, but it's been a long time. As a matter of fact, I think I played, is it the Cambridge Folk Festival? Yeah, that's the Cambridge Folk Festival. is very famous over here. Yeah, I played there one year with a lady named Rhonda Vincent. Rhonda Vincent and the Rage. We played there and man, that's probably 20 years ago. Played some smaller concerts in England, but man, it's been about 10 or 15 years ago. So yeah, I'd definitely love to make it back for sure. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the Convex Conversation. A cheeky question now. Do you have your fiddle to hand? I do. You do. And would you do me the great honor of playing us out? Sure thing. Be happy to. Lovely. You have been listening to American Bluegrass star and Grammy winner Michael Cleveland joining us with his fiddle from his studio in Indiana. And if you're interested in recording with Michael, you can find him on airgigs.com. Download and subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or search The Convex Conversation on Spotify or wherever you listen to yours. (laughs) 